So we are in our Cloud of Witnesses series, and that means we are looking through um, the, the book of Hebrews, chapters 11 and 12, and in, in chapter 11, we go through this sort of litany of people, this whole list of people in the, in the Old Testament who have responded to God in faith, and God has done amazing things through them. And then in uh, the beginning of chapters 12, it says, therefore, since we have all this great cloud of witnesses, all these people who have lived by faith, who have, who have done this work who have run this race before us, then let us press on with perseverance. So we're seeing what we can learn from some stories of people in the Old Testament. And uh, we started this a few weeks ago. And uh, it doesn't take very long going through that list of people in Hebrews chapter 11 to realize that even though it is a list of people who responded to God with faith, it is not a list of Hall of Famers. It's not a list of spiritual heroes. Looking through that list, as we've already seen, it's full of people who are pretty complicated, who have a lot of good going for them and a lot of not so good, a lot of really positive choices, a lot of mediocre choices, and a lot of maybe destructive choices. In short, it's a list of people who are a lot like us. And that's very encouraging for me because sometimes I forget that the Bible's not actually a book of spiritual heroes. It's not actually a book of spiritual examples. There aren't very many spiritual number ones in the Bible. There aren't very many all-stars. There's like one. His name is Jesus. You can read all about him in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But other than that, a lot of the stories we get are kind of mixed characters, that's really true of the guy we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at the story of Jacob. And, uh, and, and Jacob uh, is, you know, we, we talked about uh, how God um, promised himself to the, uh, this guy named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Simon kind of told us all about that and how God promised to make Abraham a great nation, uh, to, to give him these offspring that would multiply, and then to bless Abraham and then to bless the world through Abraham's family. And so, so Abraham, in his old age, he receives the fulfillment of this promise from God to make him a great nation. He finally has a child in his old age, uh, and, and, or, as, or as Hebrews 11 says, when he was as good is dead. Uh, he, he receives a child from God. This child's name is Isaac. Isaac then grows up and has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we're going to look at the story of Jacob today and how that plays out. Now, um, a little less than a year ago, I was at Black Lake Bible Camp up in Washington. Anyone know Black Lake? One, per two people. Awesome. Great. Black Lake Bible Camp um, is an awesome camp, and they have this uh, big old uh, high school camp every summer, and I got to be their high school camp speaker. And I decided uh, I would go through the story of Jacob. I don't know why. I was just like, I'm really feeling like drawn to this story. So I'd go through the story of Jacob. And, and at Black Lake, they have you preach 10 times through the week. It's very intense. It's pretty fun, but it's very intense. So um, I'm preaching through the story of Jacob, and I get to number three, like a third, the third sermon. And I don't know know, Jack, you were there. Maybe you remember this. And I like, I got up there and I was like, here's the deal, you guys. I think this was a terrible mistake (laughs) because Jacob is such a complicated character, is such a a kind of a dodgy guy that, that when we start to like, look at, at what lessons can we draw from his life, there really aren't very many spiritual like high points for him. There aren't very many moments when we can be like point, pointing to Jacob and being like, let's all be like Jacob. Cause in fact, 
a lot of the story, we're like, let's not be like that. Let's not be like Jacob. And so, so, so uh, in sort of like my preacher circles, I'll, I'll tell people, yeah, the story of Jacob doesn't preach very well because there's no moral of the story. But as we get into the story of Jacob, I think what we'll find is that Jacob is actually a really good thing for us to look at because he has just as many failures and just as many sort of complicated moments as any one of us in this room, and yet God moves, and yet God is faithful, and yet God sort of arises as the hero of Jacob's story. So Jacob, when we meet him in the book of Genesis, he's one of two sons of Isaac. Isaac being sort of the heir of the promise that God made to Abraham. And Jacob is the younger son by like a few seconds. Jacob and Esau are twins, but Jacob was born second. And so Esau, that means all the blessing of his father, all the blessings that he had uh, been passed down from Abraham are all going to rest on Esau, the older brother. And Esau's like a dude's dude, okay? Esau is a hunter. Esau is an adventurer. Esau is a ladies' man. In fact, we're told in the Bible that Esau is covered in thick, manly hair. Gross. But he is, he is covered in hair. He is very like masculine, very much like a man's man. And we're told that Jacob is a little different. Jacob is more, um, he likes life around the tents is what it says. Like he's, he's kind of a homebody. It says that, that Esau is close to their dad, Isaac, but Jacob is close to their mom. And so Jacob's kind of like a, a mama's boy. J- Jacob, Jacob's got, a, it, says, it, says that, it tells us that Jacob has um, more of a a cerebral existence instead of this sort of physical, like out in the woods, kind of hunting down these animals. Um, um, Jacob is more of a thinker, perhaps more of a feeler, more of a developed inner life. So right off the bat, we get this picture of Jacob as somebody who maybe doesn't fit the mold of what uh, might be considered what it means to be a man or what it means to be strong or, or be courageous. And, and unfortunately, um, Isaac, his dad, sort of plays into this by making Esau the favorite. So, so Isaac is getting quite old and he's about to pass away. And, um, and he says, hey, I, I need to bless my sons before I go. This is something they did in those days, say, basically saying, um, I, especially this firstborn son, Esau, I need to bless him with all the blessings I have received. So I, I need to, to, to put the blessing of God that I received from Abraham on to Esau so that he can carry on our line, carry on in the plans of God, carry on um, all the things that our family is supposed to be about. So he tells Esau, why don't you go and hunt me my favorite food and cook it for me the way I like and then come in to where I'm on my deathbed and I will bless you. So Esau's like, got it, I'm on it. So Esau runs off into the hills to do some hunting. And while he's gone, Rebecca, their mom, comes to uh, Jacob and says, hey Jacob, while Esau's gone, why don't you go kill a goat from our flock. I'll cook it the way that your dad likes. You'll go in, you'll feed it to him, and his eyesight's really bad these days. And so he won't know that it's you. In fact, he's pretty much blind, and he'll, he'll bless you instead of Isaac, or instead of Esau. You can sort of steal the firstborn blessing of your father. 
And so, and so I, uh, Jacob's like, okay, I agree. And in fact, just for good measure, he ties um, some of the goat skin to the back of his hands. The story's getting weird. Uh, some of the goat skin to the back of his hands so that he feels hairy like Esau. And so he goes in to Isaac, okay? He goes in with the food, with the hair, and he, he, he goes up to his dad, his dad who is on the verge of death, and he says, Father, bless me. And Isaac, go, or Isaac, Isaac can't really see. And he goes, are you um, really Esau? You sound like Jacob, but, but let, me, let me feel your hands. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you, you're hairy like Esau. And you brought me the food that I asked for. You must be Esau. And so Isaac blesses him with all the blessings of Abraham, with all the blessings that God had given their family to carry on the story of God in their family and in the world. He blesses him and anoints him for this work. And Jacob has now stolen the blessing of his brother Esau. Now, of course, when this all goes down, Esau is angry, very angry. And he goes into his father with weeping. Don't you have anything left for me, father? And Isaac says, I blessed Jacob with all of it. I can't take it back now. And so Esau says, I will kill my brother, Jacob. And so Jacob takes off running into the desert into the wilderness. And this is how we meet Jacob. He's manipulating his dying father. He's running away from danger. He's playing games to try to get blessings and goodies and gifts and affection out of other people. He's grasping at a good life. And when it doesn't work out, instead of facing it, he runs away. This is where we meet Jacob. Jacob, in my understanding, is a really good example of an unformed man, or what we might say an uninitiated man. What do I mean by that? Well, there's something in the soul of every man that wants to know, can, can I rise to the challenges of life? From little, little kids, we want to know as men, can I rise to the challenges of life? If you've ever been around a bunch of little boys, I have a bunch of little nephews, and they're always running around with their shirts off and flexing their pretend muscles. No, they're real. They're real muscles. Flexing their muscles and saying, feel my muscles. Feel my muscles. Feel my muscles, Uncle Ben. Feel my muscles. I'll feel them. I'll say, whoa, you're so strong. And they'll smile. They'll be like, yeah. And then five minutes later, they'll go put their shirt back on. But the, the problem is that, metaphorically speaking, all, all men do that in some way. Tell me I'm strong. Tell me I can meet the challenges of this life. Tell me I do have what it takes to carry on the blessing of God, to actually be effective in the kingdom of God in the world. Tell me I have what it takes. And if, if as little boys, they don't get affirmed in that way, they don't get that question answered, then they maybe metaphorically run around, or maybe literally, run around with their shirts off all the time going, tell me I'm strong, tell me I'm strong, tell me I'm strong. And we all know this, right? We've all seen unformed or uninitiated men grow up, and we just think, man, they're still just trying to get somebody to affirm them as men. They're just trying so desperately to know that they have what it takes. And as I look at this story with Jacob, um, He's a perfect example of an uninitiated man. His father said, no, I prefer your brother. 
No, your brother is the real man. No, your brother is the hunter. No, your brother is the man of the woods. And Jacob kind of got relegated to this other sort of existence. One where he had some love coming in, but he wasn't affirmed at that level. Because uh, as we're going to see here later, um, this sort of masculine initiation, this sort of uh, affirmation of him having what it takes is not something he can gain for himself. And how do we know that he's this uninitiated man? It's because um, he doesn't rise to meet the challenges. He doesn't rise to, to, to meet the things that life is uh, throwing his way. Instead, he manipulates. He tries to grasp at goodies and blessing and love. Instead, he, he runs away when the going gets tough. And we all know this, don't we? That the most fully formed and mature and secure men that we know, they stay and they face the challenge. They stay and they take responsibility. They do rise to the occasion. But so often, when, when, when an unformed man meets this sort of difficulty, they just take off running. So Jacob runs away. He runs and 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 he runs until he literally collapses with exhaustion. And he's so tired, he uses a, a, a stone for a pillow for his head. And he just falls right to sleep. In the middle of the desert, nobody around, he's on the run. And in that moment of sleep, he has a dream, a vision, in which heaven opens and a ladder descends between heaven and earth, and the angels of God are ascending and descending. And uh, Jacob wakes up and he says, oh my goodness, God was surely in this place, and I didn't even know it. God is surely with me in this place, and I didn't even know it. I will call this place Bethel, which means the house of God, because God is here with me on the run. And this is where God enters the story. This is the first time God makes an appearance in the story of Jacob. And it's as if God is saying, yes, this unformed man has caused and will cause a lot of damage. Yes, this uninitiated man thinks it's all up to him to put together life, to grasp for blessing, to, to grasp for goodness, to try to make it work on his own terms. Yes, it is going to hurt the people around him. It has hurt the people around him. And nonetheless, I, God, keep my promises and I meet him even when he's on the run. But Jacob doesn't linger there. Jacob says, huh, God is here. I didn't even realize it. Why don't I set this rock up, and I'll, that way I'll remember where this place is, and I can come back and sort of deal with all of this later. I can meet God and sort all this out, or whatever it was God wanted to do in this place. I'll come back and we'll talk about it later. I got to keep running. I can't stay put. I got to keep running. So he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs uh, to the country where his uncle Laban lives and he finds sort of a little settlement with a well and he comes to the well and at the well he sees for the first time a woman named Rachel and his eyes are open and it's like the, the sky parts and the light just like goes right on Rachel. You can see it's like this incredible Hallmark movie moment and he's like, wow, that woman. I, I never really felt like formed, initiated, or, or like affirmed uh, by, by my own dad or, or by any of the, the men in my life, or, or I, I don't know if I have what it takes as a man. I wonder, I wonder if this woman could provide that for me. 
he instantly becomes obsessed with this woman. And how often is this the case when, when, when an unformed man who hasn't had his deepest questions answered comes face to face with a beautiful woman, how often do we see them go, you know, I wonder if she could fill this empty place inside of me. I wonder if she could set the break that's in here. Maybe. And what results is this sort of obsessive love. Here's what he does. He realizes that this, this Rachel is the daughter of Laban, and he goes to Laban, and he says, Laban, I will work for you for seven years to marry your daughter. And Laban says, hey, you know what? It's a deal, which is really interesting because another older man, you know, we had Isaac, his father, but another older man comes into Jacob's life, and instead of starting to steer him on the right path, saying, hey, listen, first you should know, Rachel can't satisfy your deepest needs and questions about yourself as a man, but instead of doing that, or instead of leading Jacob on a journey of initiation, he begins to use Jacob. And he says, okay, yeah, why don't you work for me for seven years, then you can marry my daughter. So he does. He works for him for seven years. At the end, he marries Laban's daughter. But in those days, um, weddings were had with lots of veils covering faces, and people may not be able to see each other until like the wedding night or even like when they wake up in the morning because it's all dark. And Jacob actually realizes that the daughter that uh, has been given to him from Laban is actually Leah, Rachel's older sister. It's not the person he's been working for for seven years. So Laban continues to use Jacob. But of course, Jacob sees Rachel and he goes, I know, Leah's fine. Leah's, okay, I'm married to Leah. But hey, Rachel, I know she can fill this need. I know she can meet this broken place. I know she can answer the questions of my soul. I know she can make me feel like a man. And so he says, okay, Laban, you tricked me, but I'll work another seven years just to marry Rachel. And he does. He works another seven years. He allows this other man to use him and to, to, to get all this stuff from him, sort of abuse him in a way. And then he marries Rachel. So now he's got two wives. I wonder if that's going to fix the thing, fill the hole, meet the need, answer the question that he never had answered when he started out. But unfortunately, now that he's married both daughters, and now that his wealth starts to increase as he has more of a household, more servants, more children, um, Laban begins to get really jealous and really possessive. And so what does Jacob do? He does what an unformed, uninitiated man does. And he says, I need to run again. I got to go. I got to take off. This, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what's wrong. I don't even know where to begin to face all this. Don't know how to take responsibility. I've got to go. And so he gathers all of his kids, all of his wives, all of their livestock, and they just start running, escaping without saying goodbye to Laban, just out into the wilderness. This is interesting because this is an exact picture of what happened before, except now as this unformed, uninitiated man gets older and older and older, more and more people are drug along with him on this journey, running out into the wilderness. It affects more and more people. 
See, this is, this is something that, that like I've seen happen, that a lot of us I think have seen happen, where, um, where, where, where young men don't get the deepest questions of their soul answered at an early age, and as they grow, they get more and more responsibility. They get a promotion at work. They get the awesome job. They have a home. They have a family. They have kids, but they still are living with that unformed little boy part of themselves that's saying, tell me I'm strong. Tell me I have what it takes. Tell me I'm enough. Tell me that I really can be useful in the kingdom of God. Please tell me, somebody tell me, and more and more people get drug into this journey with them, and this is how people get hurt. This is how kids get ignored. This is how, this is how uh, people have adulterous affairs, because there's this unformed need that maybe they can answer, maybe they can answer, and I'm dragging more and more people along with me, so they take off running into the wilderness, But then he hears something. Jacob hears that Esau, his brother, is coming. Esau's heard that Jacob is on his way back to their old country, and Esau is coming to intercept him. Now, when they last met, Esau had vowed to kill Jacob. So he's terrified. He's terrified. I can't go back because it means facing all of my issues. I can't go forward because it means facing all of my issues and facing my angry brother. I don't know what to do. I'm actually really stuck. And sometimes when an unformed man has just been running through life, running through life, running through life, trying to avoid God, trying to avoid relationships, trying to avoid responsibilities, trying to avoid all of these things because that deep question, do I have what it takes, has not actually been answered so often often it takes sort of this this place where they're backed into a corner for anything to change. It takes sort of this thing, and and that's not just true. I know I'm talking because Jacob's a man about masculine initiation and all this stuff, but it's actually true for all of us. Sometimes to make us finally face the things we are running from, we have to get backed into a corner. And so often in my life, I've been like, God, why are things so hard? Why are you letting them get so hard? Why is it so painful? And I've I've slowly, I am slowly learning to ask the question, Lord, things are really hard. What are you trying to get me to pay attention to? What is it I'm avoiding? What is it I'm not looking at, not, not rising to the challenge of? What is it I'm actually like trying to ignore or run from? What are you trying to get me to pay attention to? And finally, finally, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob stops running. And God makes his second appearance in Jacob's story. I'm just going to read this for you from Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. The same night he arose, that is, Jacob arose, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of its joint. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which is a word that means strives or wrestles with God, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob stops running. He finally realizes I can't go back because it means facing all of my garbage. I can't go forward because it means facing all of my garbage. What if I stay put for just a minute and see what God has to do and what God has to to say? And God shows up and just wrestles him. Weird, right? What a weird moment. And it's so confusing. Like, why would he wrestle with God and then God would like, put his hip out of joint, but then give him a new name and say, hey, I'm giving you a new name. I'm blessing you because you wrestle with God and with men. Wait, but isn't wrestling with God a bad thing? And what does it mean you wrestle with God and with men and have prevailed? Does that, does that mean God is admitting that he's been beaten by Jacob? Does that mean God is admitting that Jacob is actually stronger? Like, what, what does this mean? What is this moment about? And, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense, or it didn't make a lot of sense to me until earlier this week, I started thinking about this story in terms of this, um, this masculine journey of initiation. This question that all of us uh, men, and I, I don't, I, perhaps women, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not familiar, uh, but, but, uh, but all of us have this question of, do I have what it takes? Can I rise to meet the challenges? Do I... Do, do, can I really be part of God's story? Can I really uh, be trusted in God's good world? And so often, so often, uh, as with uh, a lot of, uh, in a lot of stories that we're probably all familiar with, so often um, th- these moments of reckoning, these moments of finally facing these things um, happen in really surprising ways. So instead of coming and having a conversation with Jacob, God shows up and they, they just start wrestling. They just start fighting. And the interesting thing is this. Jacob um, does the same thing he did with his father, which is to ask for a blessing. It's the same thing he did with Laban, which is to try to get a blessing. Jacob actually does the same thing with this God-man that's with him as he's done with every other thing in his life where he's tried to receive that sort of moment of initiation, that moment of wholeness, that moment of affirmation over the deepest questions of his soul. So, so, so it's not so much that, that the asking for the blessing is the wrong thing, but perhaps for the first time in his life, Jacob is actually asking the right question to the right person. Perhaps for the first time in his life, Jacob is taking the deepest questions of his soul and he's actually bringing them to God instead of other human beings. Perhaps for the first time, Jacob has the potential to get these questions that he has about himself answered in a way that actually has finality and that actually matters. Because, see, this isn't a, this isn't a sermon about, um, oh, maybe some of us had bad parents and so we weren't initiated. Because um, Jacob's parents were actually pretty awesome if you read the whole story. It's just that um, no human being can answer that question of the soul at that level. 
And it wasn't, it wasn't, this isn't a sermon about like, see, make sure you marry the right person and not the wrong person because only the right person can really fill that hole inside. That's not what this is about because you can marry the best person out there and still have these unanswered questions in your soul that only God can answer. And every human being, male, female, whatever, every human being must have the moment or probably many moments of reckoning with the God who is the only one who can answer the questions of our soul. Every single one of us at some point must get ready to rumble. We must duke it out with God in prayer in moments of confrontation. We must actually work things out and face them with God so that he can speak to the deepest places and say, you know what, you are wrestling it out with me. You are working it out with me and I declare you strong, prevailer. You wrestle with God and with men and have prevailed. In a small way, this is what I do with my nephews. Every time I walk in the house, they're like, Uncle Ben, because they know it means wrestling time. And so immediately, I don't even get my shoes off, and they're like, can we wrestle? Can we wrestle? Are we going to wrestle? Let's wrestle. And we wrestle, me and my nephews. And for a while, I'm just like throwing them around. Oh, throw him under the couch and throw him under the pillow. And ah, it's like wrestling Godzilla. It's so fun. But at some point, Uncle Ben starts to get tired And all three boys start to work together. And pretty soon Uncle Ben is flat on the ground and he's like, I tap out, I tap out, I tap out, I tap out. You win. And that's where the real celebration begins. Yes, we got him. We are so strong. Shirts are being ripped off. It's like such a moment. And not mine, don't worry. Nobody wants to see that. And... uh, And it's this moment in a small way of what's happening with Jacob. Jacob is finally, finally facing God and all the issues that God has been trying to work on forever and ever. He's finally facing him. He's finally stopped running and he's ready to wrestle it out. He's ready to talk it out. He's ready to work it out with God, who is the only one who can really bless at that deep soul level. And in that wrestling, God does not annihilate him. Hallelujah. God does not annihilate him. Instead, God affirms him. You are a prevailer. You are strong. I give you a new name. I bless you. All of us, whatever journey we're on, in in Jacob's case, I think it's a really clear vision of like masculine initiation, but whatever journey we're on, or if 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 you're like a man, but that journey doesn't resonate with you, doesn't matter. All of us, no matter the journey we live, at some point, at probably many points, we have to actually slow down long enough to wrestle out our deepest questions with God. And in that place, he doesn't judge us, he doesn't condemn us, he doesn't hurt us, he doesn't doesn't make us, uh, he doesn't just completely wipe us out. Instead, he wrestles with us through the night until the sun rises and he says, I name you strong, I name you prevailer, I name you enough. I name you these things. No human being, not your parents, 
not your best friends, not your community, not your spouse. No human being can name you strong enough prevailer in the way that you need to hear it from God. So we wrestle. We engage, we wrestle. And I love that one of the last things this person does, this God-man, this angel does, is to remove his hip from his socket because it means he can't run anymore. He just can't. And, and when you have this encounter with God, the idea of, of running or, or avoiding the problems, of actually not rising to the occasion, it becomes less and less feasible to you becomes less and less appealing and possible to you. You you have less and less of a temptation to go, well, maybe I could just avoid it. Maybe I could just not. And you begin to actually live a life where you're rising to challenges, facing these issues, actually working things out with God. And that's exactly what Jacob does. Look at, this is nuts. The next chapter, he's just finished, like just finished wrestling with God. The next chapter, it says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and behold, Esau was coming. He's finally had this moment of initiation, of affirmation, of really working on the deep issues of his soul and having God bless him there. And he looks up and he's like, it's Esau. It's the thing I need to face. And you know what he does? He goes. He talks to him. He actually like works it out with his brother and they part as friends. Now, this is really important, too, for us to recognize that Jacob's not perfect after this. This isn't like, okay, well, you get saved when you believe in Jesus, and then you know that like, you're eternally saved, and then you have to have this reckoning moment, and then you stop sinning forever. No, 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 no. It just means that for the first time, what we start to see in the story, if we keep going forward, for the first time, this is so important, we see Jacob breaking out of the prison of self, we see Jacob actually caring for and looking, for the need, looking out for the needs of other people. He no longer is trying to grasp and get enough and manipulate and get this whole, all the Swiss cheesy holes in his soul filled up by other things. Instead, he's able to look outward and to bless and to build and to, to work for God, he's actually able to let go of all of this, these things that have kept him so hungry and grasping for so long and actually begin to see the world outside of him, see God, see others. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we're doing this whole series from, it mentions Jacob this way. It says, by faith, this is, this is all it says about Jacob in our, in our core text for this series. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Who's now giving the blessing? Jacob. By faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. We just saw Jacob live his whole young life trying to get blessed. Dad couldn't do it. Brother couldn't do it. Wife couldn't do it. Another wife couldn't do it. Uncle Laban couldn't do it. Nobody could really bless me at the level I needed to be blessed. Finally, he wrestles with God, receives the blessing, and now who's doing the blessing? Jacob begins to bless others. Until I know 
that God affirms and blesses me at that deep soul level. God, do I have what it takes? Do I matter? Am I enough? Do, am I significant in your kingdom? Can I meet the challenges of this world? Until I let God, my Father, affirm me on that level by wrestling it out with him, I am almost incapable of blessing anybody else because all I am doing is trying to get enough for me. And it says, by faith he blessed them. Because Jacob, I think, finally knew, I'm okay. <laughs> there is enough for me to still have what I need and bless other people. There is enough affirmation and love coming in from God, my Father, that I can share it with other people as well. I'm not just a hungry black hole trying to get from people, trying to win affection from people. I, I see this in my life, don't you? The way we grasp at blessing and affection from every source around us, as men, we often do it in this sort of like, tell me I have what it takes sort of way, or we might take it to women, or we might take it to older men. Please just tell me enough, enough. I, all of us are doing it in some way or other. And when I can really wrestle it out, rumble it out with Jesus in these moments and receive that blessing and stop running, then I finally, oh, I feel secure enough to start blessing other people. You know what, I'm good. God, God, God really has done some work here. Let me just bless you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's not that we don't have needs, but I'm, I don't have this, this, this sort of sucking vacuum at the middle of me anymore. So now I can, I can actually, like, bless you. I can listen to you. I can care for you. I can affirm you. I can, I can actually, like, put you in the spotlight and me fade in the background. <laughs> like, I can do these things that are just remarkable because we've never seen Jacob do them, and then suddenly here he is doing them. And this, this verse in Hebrews, um, I've got kind of one final point, and then I'll, then I'll stop talking, I promise. But... Um, this verse in Hebrews also reminds me that um, when God does this deep, rumbly like, work with us and actually like, we face him and we wrestle it out and he affirms us and he blesses us, and he starts to fill those deep needs and questions in our soul. When he does that, it's not just for our own self-actualization. Um, this is really, I think, super important for me because um, we live in a culture and a world that says, Everything you do is so that you can be a more whole, healthy, better person, which is well and good, unless that's where it stops. Uh, Jesus is actually pretty explicit about his goal for our lives. It's to make us more loving towards God and other people. It's actually to make us like stop focusing on ourselves for a minute and be able to focus on other people for a minute. Um, and, and for Jesus, the word love equals sacrifice. It means putting down what I want and giving other people what they need. Uh, and so Jesus is pretty clear that his goal, self-actualization or becoming a whole, healthy, full human being, might occur on the way, but that's not the point. The point isn't that Jacob finally got blessed. The point is he was finally freed to bless others. The point is not that he finally got his own needs met and his own questions answered and finally felt affirmed and initiated as a man. It was, the point was actually that he could turn around and do that for other people. This is so important for me because I think in the culture I was raised in, even in the church, it's so easy for me to come to Bible study and prayer and church and come to these things going, how will this fix this? How will this thing I'm receiving actually just make me happier and have a better week and actually help me fix this problem and then I'll grow in this way? And I never really consider 
actually how I might bless other people. Now, to be clear, this sort of self-actualization, this becoming whole and healed might occur on the way, but God's actual goal is for us to be able to bless, not just get blessed, but to be a blessing. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in a famous passage in 1 Corinthians, he says this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Cool. He's talking about this sort of growing up process we were just describing in Jacob, talking about that sort of space where we begin to uh, experience that initiation and that growth and that sort of that filling of God in these these really um, these moments where we really kind of face God and we we start to wrestle things out with Him. He's talking about that growing up process. But but what's this in the context of? Well, it's First Corinthians thirteen, which maybe you've heard at weddings. It's the love chapter. He says love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, it, rejoices, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And he says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. See, Paul says, what does growing up looks, look like? What does it look like to have that initiation process? How do I know? Ben, how do I know if I've really duked it out with God in this way and received that affirmation and that blessing at the level I need? How do I know? Uh, Are you patient and kind? Do you envy or boast? Are you arrogant or rude? Do you insist on your own way? Are you irritable or resentful? And on and on and on. And this is not a moment of shame, shame on us. This is actually, for me, I read these things and I'm like, oh, man. I think I need to get real with God. I think I, I've, I've had this process. I think I need to go back. I think I need to go back to that place by the river. I think I need to go back to that place in the desert. Perhaps I need, even need to go back to Bethel, the house of God. And I need to like not run from there. I need to sit there. I need to wrestle it out again. Perhaps, perhaps if I'm, I'm not like being super patient, kind, and, uh, perhaps if I'm envying or boasting, perhaps if, I, if I'm being arrogant or rude, perhaps if I'm not hoping all things, bearing all things, believing all things, perhaps if I'm not embodying love, the answer isn't try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. Shame on me, shame on me, shame on me. Perhaps the answer is, God, I need to get real with you. Something in me is still unformed, and I need you to wrestle it out with me. I need you to form it. I'm, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to face whatever it is we need to face because I know that the end of that process, the end of that wrestling is blessing. You are strong. You are prevailer. You do have what it takes. You are enough. And from that place, I'm free to bless. This is a process I think we go through over and over and over and over in our lives. And I just love that God gives us a picture of somebody in the scriptures who is so deeply unformed, so deeply insecure and immature, so that we can see the process he needs to go on to allow God to begin to form him, name him, and initiate him at that deep soul level. Because that's a process I need to go on. And it's not so I feel better. It's not so I have a better week. It's not so I'm a happier, healthier, wealthier person. Those things might occur, but it's actually so that I can affirm, bless, and love other people well. I just said a lot of stuff. Whew.
thanks, dude. That's uh, that's where we're, I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna land it. But I also know that um, for a lot of us, we might just want to sit with that for a little bit. Um, if you have questions and want to come talk to me, please do. If you want prayer, please like find someone to pray with you. And any people you see in this room um, that they would be happy to pray with you. Grab somebody. Grab grab Josh. Grab Hannah or anyone else you saw up front. They would love to pray with you. Um, we are going to take communion here in a moment, and this is this is great. Um, because, you guys, every week we get to take communion. And I don't know if I know of any better place to duke it out with God than at the communion table. I really don't. When, when we come to the communion table, we are confessing our need for God's help and forgiveness. We are confessing there are things that need work, God. And when we take in the communion elements, the, the, the juice that represents his blood shed for us, the, the bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us, as we take in these elements, we are receiving God's deepest affirmation, God's deepest statement of love for the broken places within us. We're literally taking it into our bodies. So when, when Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he said he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. And then he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the sins of the world. He's offering us himself. So today, as we come to the communion table, we can, we can admit things. We can say, God, here are the ways I haven't been loving. Here are the ways. And that tells me something in me is unaffirmed and unformed. God, I receive your love and forgiveness into that hollow place in my soul. Let it fill me and make me more loving to the people around me. This is the process of confession, and this is the process that we do every week when we do communion. So if you need to duke it out with God, God, I admit where I've been unloving. God, I recognize that it means there are unformed and unaffirmed places in me. God, I receive your love and forgiveness into that empty place. If you need to go through that little process this morning, I do. Um, this is the time to do it. Let's get real with God. Let's allow him to speak blessing to the deepest places of our soul and begin to heal some of those places that we might be more loving to those around us. Uh, worship team, if you want to come up front, I'm going to pray, and then the communion tables will be open. If you need gluten-free crackers, they are on this side over here. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you, um, that you, thank you that even when we're on the run, you show up in our story and you keep bugging us, you keep trapping us until we finally get real and, and wrestle it out with you. Lord Jesus, as we come to the communion table, as we take the bread and dip it in the juice and eat both, would you help us not just to receive these communion elements, but actually to receive your blessing, your affirmation in the deep places where we need it, not so that we feel better, although we might feel better, thank you, Jesus, but so that we can be free to love other people more. Lord, would you meet us in the reckoning places in our soul? Would you help us to admit where we have been running or unloving or manipulating or grasping for blessing. And would you help us as we wrestle it out with you to look, look to you for the blessing we need, look to you for the affirmation we need so that we might be free to bless and affirm others. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We're grateful. Amen.